Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Never heard it, but I'll like to hear it again. This has got a great message. Praise the Lord. Oh, praise his name. Let's just sing that old one. Amazing grace. Got me thinking about the grace of God. Some people think that uh, the God of the Old Testament kind of had a little change of heart when he came into the New Testament. They they think uh, the God of the Old Testament was all law. And then in the God of the New Testament became God of all grace. But how many know you still see grace even in the Old Testament? Over and over again. So uh, it's amazing when you look at this and realize I was thinking this afternoon of Rahab. That was grace. thinking of the text we're going to go to here in a few moments, the Gibeonites. We'll share more about that, but you'll see it. It was grace, grace, grace. Praise God. Sis Jones, you have to help me. Hope your mic's still on. Let's sing it together. You all know this one. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that sings a wretch just like me. Hallelujah. I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, oh, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears release. Oh, hallelujah! Oh, how precious! Oh, that grace appeared the hour. I first first believed it's amazing grace. Oh, thank you, Lord. That saves. Oh, somebody ought to celebrate that grace. Hallelujah. Oh, I once was lost. But now I'm found Was blind But now I see Thankful for the grace of God Give him a hand clap of praise Lord this is for you We rejoice Hallelujah, hallelujah Thank you for that mercy and grace Shed abroad in our hearts Hallelujah Wonderful Savior, wonderful Savior, praise God. Well, 
Thank you, musicians. Let's go to Joshua for a few minutes tonight. Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 9, for a few minutes. Trust you've had a good Lord's Day. Praise the Lord. Good to see that sun come out a while ago. Amen. And shows that spring is hopefully arriving. Praise the Lord. Now, um, I've got kind of a lengthy text. I don't know here if I can, uh, I probably can abbreviate it. And uh, we'll, get, we'll get started here and see, see what we can do. I do want you to be in prayer uh, next Monday night. The Zoning Commission has their meeting to uh, bring up the idea of rezoning our corner lot over here, and that's what needs to happen if uh, Dunkin' Donuts is going to move forward. So it's made it through a lot of different phases so far. It's taken a while, but uh, now is uh, not tomorrow night, but next Monday night is their meeting. So be in prayer. Be in prayer that all moves forward. Amen. And uh, we'll report to you as soon as we hear something. All right. So be in prayer for that. Praise the Lord. Joshua chapter 9, verse 3. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua had done, excuse me, had heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai, they did work willily and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up and old shoes clouded upon their feet and old garments upon them, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. Now this is quite a plan. And they go into Joshua, verse 6, unto the camp at Gilgal, and say unto him, to the men of Israel, We be come from a far country. Everybody say lie number one. Now, therefore, make ye a league with us. Let's make a deal. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Peradventure ye dwell among us. How shall we make a league with you? And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye, and from whence come ye? And they said unto him, From a very far country thy servants are come. Lie number Two, because of the name of the Lord thy God, we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, to Og, the king of Bashan, which was at Ashtaroth. Wherefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say unto them, We are your servants, therefore now take or make ye a league with us. This our bread we took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we come forth to go unto you. Lie number three. But now, behold, it's dry and it's moldy. And these bottles of wine which we filled were new, and behold, they're rent. Oh, wow, just full of lies, isn't it? 
These our garments and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey and, and on and on and on they go. Verse 16, and it came to pass. Okay, wait a minute. Verse 17, they make a league. Joshua makes a league. They make a deal. They strike a deal. And then verse 16, and it comes to pass at the end of three days after they had made a league with them that they heard that they were their neighbors. Somebody say, uh uh-oh. Okay, so they find out, drop down to 25, and now behold, we are in thine hand. Okay, so their lie was exposed, and Joshua approaches them. Why did you lie to us? Why, why, why? And so, behold, we are in thine hand, they tell Joshua, as it seemeth good and right unto thee, do unto us. And so did he unto them, and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel, that they slew them not. And Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord, even unto this day in the place which he should choose. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the presence that accompanies your word. Lord, I pray that you would just minister to us. Let our eyes be open, our ears unstopped, our hearts receiving you, Lord, and your word. I pray that you would just speak to hearts tonight, and we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. All God's people say amen. Amen. Something good from something bad. That's what I want to talk tonight about, something good from something bad. God bless you. You can be seated. Science tells us that the Arctic polar bear feeds almost entirely on seal meat. To enjoy such a dinner, that Arctic polar bear sometimes resorts to a cunning bit of trickery. If the hole in the ice through which that seal gets its food If it's not too far from the edge of open water, the polar bear, they said, will take a deep breath. He's able to hold his breath and slip underwater and swim over there to that seal's fishing hole. Then he'll imitate a fish by scratching lightly on the underneath side of the ice. And when that seal above hears that noise... He dives in through that hole for a quick supper, only to find himself caught in the hungry embrace of a predator. How many know the devil uses deception in a similar way to gain a foothold? When we've yielded to temptation, he catches us in his trap. Have you ever had somebody tell you, Watch out when things are going good. I I heard that statement a while back, and I think there's a lot of truth to it. It's when we're sailing along very nicely that we let our guard down, and a lot of times we're tempted to become self-reliant. We neglect to consult God about everything because... After all, God's blessing us. Surely we're wise enough to handle smaller decisions on our own, can't we? 
Somebody say, wrong, wrong. This is when our enemy strikes us the hardest, I believe, and victory can leave us vulnerable to uh, pride and self-sufficiency. Now, in this story of a text, Israel faced this very danger. They got themselves in a very tough spot that only God could redeem them from. However, I love it, though, when Murphy's Law meets God's Law. I'll say that again. I love it when Murphy's Law meets God's Law. And things go so wrong, they end up right. Hmm? That's what happens in this story. It goes to prove that with God, church, aren't you thankful? Every cloud has a silver lining. I said every cloud has a silver lining. Over the past several years, we've heard a lot about fake news, haven't we? Currently, the Russian media outlets have become the epitome of fake news. Regarding its war on Ukraine, Russia has denied facts. Russia told the world, and I quote, don't believe what you see. Don't believe all the evidence. Don't believe all the videos. Don't believe the images. Believe us. Without meaning to be political, how many know fake news is nothing new? We're not the first generation to grapple with what's true and what's not. Human nature is such that many people find it easier to tell a lie than to tell the truth. Sometimes, how many has found out a, a good lie sounds more believable sometimes than the truth? Politicians understand this. American diplomat Adelaide Stevenson once remarked, and I quote, he said, a lie is abomination unto the Lord and a very present help in time of trouble. And our text this evening proves that observation is correct in a sense. A lie is an abomination. We know that. But many has found out that that's a present help when they get in a bind. And so this is a story of how something good came out of something bad. And so when all the Canaanite kings, if you read verse 1, when they hear about the collapse of the walls of Jericho, uh, they hear about the defeat of Ai, there's only one option for them, okay? They know Israel's coming for them next. Okay, so their option, they say, is to unite their armies. I believe it was about five of them, five Canaanite armies with their cities, and they were going to fight it out with the Jews, okay? But there was one city that decided they wasn't going to join the other five other Canaanite cities. And that was the city of Gibeon. They decided instead of fighting the Jews, they were going to try to make peace with the Jews. Verse 3 tells us when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they basically resorted, uh, resorted to deception uh, simply to save themselves. 
It's not hard to feel sympathy for them, is it? I, I, I looked at this story today, hopefully with fresh eyes, and I said, I feel for them in a sense. When they heard how the Israelites had destroyed Jericho and Ai, they knew they didn't stand a chance. They may have been pagans, but they knew enough to understand that Joshua had the God of the universe on his side. And so they started to figure out and put together a plan for survival. They said, look, the Jews are planning to sweep through the land. They're taking one city at a time. When they get to us here at Gibeon, they're going to slaughter us and they're going to burn our city. There's no way we stand a chance against them, so we better make a deal with them while we still can. So, but they also knew that Joshua would never make a deal with them. Why should he? It was obvious that it was the goal of the Israelites to conquer the entire land of Canaan. God had promised it to them. And it is also obvious that the Israelite armies were doing a pretty good job so far with God's help. Okay, so there was no way the Jews, they began to think, would ever just want to strike a deal with the Gibeonites and make them the exception. Okay, so what could they do? The Gibeonites, they come up with a brilliant two-part plan. Deception plus flattery. Deception plus flattery. So first they pretend to come to the Jews from a distant land. You can read that in verses 4 through 6. The Gibeonites put on some old ragged clothes. They packed some moldy bread, some cracked wineskins to make it look like they had been traveling for weeks and months through the hot deserts. They said to Joshua, we've come from a land far, far away. Well, their deception worked. At first, the Jews questioned the truthfulness of what they said, but eventually they decided that they were telling the truth. Secondly, now the Gibeonites resulted to flattery, verses 9 and 10. The Gibeonites, boy, they began to pour it on thick, okay, with all their talk about how God had, they had heard God had delivered the Jews from Egypt and how he had given them victory over all the kings of the east, uh, east side of Jordan. And now this was a smart thing to say to the Jews because, first of all, it was true, right? And then it appealed to the pride of the Jews. How many know that ought to be a lesson for all of us? Hebrews 3, I think it's 13, talks about the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, I mean, you know, Satan only tells us about the pleasure of sin. He doesn't, he doesn't reveal the pain involved in sin until later. And the Jews now, they're torn because they don't immediately fall for the story right away. They take a few steps to try to determine if the Gibeonites was telling the truth. So they kind of sort of vetted them. Okay, verse 14 tells us they sampled the provisions the Gibeonites brought with them. That means they checked out the bread. They found it was moldy like they had said. But once they did that, they said, well, seems to be a legit story. Let's make a deal. So in verse 15, 
they make a peace treaty. The Israelite leaders take and swear to an oath, which means they promise before God that they're not going to harm the Gibeonites. We're reminded here that God takes our promises seriously, even if we don't. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of people who will say, I don't feel like the Israelites had to keep the promise they made. After all, it was a promise based on lies that were told to them. We might think that their lie would, would invalidate the oath. But Joshua and the other leaders knew that there are no loopholes when it comes down to taking an oath. Don't ever be tempted to say, I made a promise before God, but things have changed and I've changed my mind. God takes oaths seriously. And he expects his people to be truthful. So now the deal is done. The peace treaty is made. The Gibeonites are safe. But Joshua and the leaders have made a mistake. And it was a big one. Verse 14 says, the men of Israel, here it is, did not ask counsel from the Lord. Somebody say, "Uh uh-oh. They sampled the food to see if it was old. They checked the wine to see if there was cracked wineskins. But they forgot to consult God which is why they made the big mistake. And I'd suggest that the same thing happens anytime we get too busy to talk to the Lord. Life gets hectic. We have full agendas. Something comes up, and we must make a decision right now. We don't mean to leave God out, but unless we intentionally bring God in, we will always leave him out. Right? And sometimes making quick decisions can get us into trouble because we start believing in our own ability to figure things out. It would be far better for us to say, whoa, wait a minute here. Lord, I don't know what to do here. I need some help in this situation. I need some guidance. I need some wisdom. Anybody in here can use some guidance? Anybody in here use some wisdom? Keep in mind that it was Joshua... Who made this mistake? Joshua, who was God's appointed leader, and it had happened after the miracle at the Jordan River, after the conquest of Jericho, after the shameful episode with Achan, okay, after the defeated Ai, after all these miracles of deliverance and after Achan's deceit, Joshua still forgot to pray about this decision. Oh, how many's got decisions you've made in your life that you regret? And you said, oh, I wish I would have prayed about that one. Hopefully you're not nudging your spouse. I think it's safe to say that if it could happen to Joshua, it could happen to any of us. We will never get to the place where we do not need to consult the Lord.
Uh, did they pass a law? Is it illegal to say amen? I'll just ask him. The moment we start thinking, I got this. I got this under control. You better watch out. Trouble's around the corner. And as for the Jews, everything was going fine for about three days. Then word gets out. <laughs> you leaders were hoodwinked. Listen, we're not told exactly how the Jews found out uh, that they had been lied to. But once the Israelites knew the truth, what are you going to do now, Joshua? These Jewish leaders couldn't go back on their word because they knew God took their oath seriously. So they spare the Gibeonites. They spare their city. But they decide that they're going to make them servants, woodcutters, and water carriers. And when Joshua confronted the Gibeonites and he asked them why they lied to him, then they tell the truth. They said in verse 24 and 25, we feared for our lives. And now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight, do to us. We need to give them a little credit here. The Gibeonites didn't make any excuse for what they did. They lied to save their lives, which doesn't justify the lie, but it did lead them to find mercy and not destruction. And the final verse of chapter 9 gives us a glimpse, here it is, of the grace of God. I said it gives us a glimpse of the grace of God. Now let me ask you a question. Who got the better end of the deal? On the one hand, the Israelites got an endless source of free labor, so that was a win for them. But on the other hand, the Gibeonites saved their lives, so that was a big win for them. Now, but notice where they end up. The verse says they end up at the altar of the Lord. What was significant about the altar, Pastor? That was the place of sacrifice. The Gibeonites, who started out as pagans, now end up serving at the very heart of the Jewish faith. Every day they served, they were there where the animals were being sacrificed to the Lord. They had a front row seat to watch God teach an illustrated sermon to the Jews uh, in a lesson of substitution and forgiveness. They learned that blood must be shed for the forgiveness of sin. So what's the most important thing for us, I, I, I ask, to learn from this story? Is it the dangers of deception? Is it the folly of not looking to the Lord when we need to make decisions? Is it the importance of keeping our oaths no matter what? The truth is, this story is about all of those things, but there's something else that's very important that's going on here. Because I want you to look and let's follow this thing through. Let's turn the clock forward a bit and look to see what we find. In the next chapter, very next chapter, chapter 10, Joshua and the Israelites have to go to war now to protect the city of Gibeon. The very city they were going to destroy they now find themselves engaged in a battle to protect the city of Gibeon from all those other 
Canaanite kings. So now you have the Jews protecting uh, one group of Canaanites, the Gibeonites, uh, from all the other Canaanites. And guess what? It was during this battle that Joshua prayed to the Lord and the sun stood still over Gibeon giving Joshua one of his greatest victories ever. Praise God. Then later in Joshua 21, Gibeon was named one of the Levitical cities of refuge, which meant that some of the priests of Israel, actually uh, probably a good portion of them, began to live there, and it meant by way of it being a city of refuge, if you accidentally killed a person, took their life accidentally, you could run to the city of Gibeon and remain safe there from what was called in the Old Testament the avenger of blood. Now that guaranteed that the inhabitants of Gibeon, why are you saying all this? It guaranteed that the inhabitants of Gibeon would have a first-hand knowledge of the whole sacrificial system and a first-hand look at the mercy and the grace of God. Next, if you fast forward 400 years later, you find King Saul breaks that vow just briefly. And he uh, slays some of the Gibeonites. God responds to his action by sending a three-year famine on Israel. Somebody say, yeah, God takes oaths seriously. Hello? That famine was not lifted until seven of Saul's male descendants were given over to the Gibeonites to bring revenge for the massacre. God judged his people for breaking the promise they made to protect the Gibeonites. Now, as we continue forward, when David's mighty men, when they're listed, we talked about one of them this morning, but when they are listed in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, the list includes Ishmael of Gibeon. A mighty man among the 30 and a leader over the 30. In other words, this Gibeonite became David's inner circle and become one of his most trusted men. Praise God. You see this? Let's go a little further from David. Let's step over to his son Solomon. Notice that Solomon goes to where? Gibeon to offer sacrifices, and to worship the Lord. And while he is there, the Lord appears to him in a vision and tells him, ask whatever you want. That's when and where Solomon was when he asked the Lord for wisdom to lead Israel in 1 Kings chapter 3. And the Lord granted it. Next. When the Jews returned from 70 years of Babylonian captivity, 
Nehemiah tells us that 95 men of Gibeon were among those who returned out of Babylonian captivity. In Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 35. And then later when Nehemiah goes to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, a thousand years after the time of Joshua, men from Gibeon are helping them in that huge construction project. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 7. So, you say, what does that mean for all of us? It means, first of all, that the Israelites faithfully kept the promise they made, uh, with the little hiccup with King Saul there, not only while Joshua was alive, but for over a thousand years they kept it. Second of all, the Gibeonites became fully integrated into the life of Israel, some of them serving in some very high-ranking positions. Third, it's obvious that they came to understand the true God and how he must be approached by way of a sacrifice. It was a shadow of the cross. And in some ways, the Gibeonites were a lot like Rahab. Huh? They both were deceivers. She lied to the king of Jericho. They lied to Joshua. They both did what they did in order to save themselves. Uh, Rahab believed the God of the Jews was the one and true God, while the Gibeonites said in Joshua 9, 24, it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land. Evidently, they believed that. So in both cases, these pagan Gentiles had heard enough about God to convince them to change sides, right? Rahab left her own people and joined up with the people of God. The Gibeonites did the same thing. And the Gibeonites came in among the people of God, and hundreds of years later, they were still there. Now, does that mean that all the Gibeonites became believers in God? Only God knows the answer to that question, but I do know this. Out of all the pagan nations in the land of Canaan, the Gibeonites were the only ones who were spared. Huh? They were the only ones who joined with the people of God. And I would suggest to you this evening that in a sense, all of us are like Rahab and the Gibeonites. Uh, I know it's easy for us to look down our noses at people like Rahab and the Gibeonites and regard them as, as terrible sinners. Listen, I need to constantly remind myself of this truth. Uh, God saves people that I wouldn't save if I were was God, which is one more reason why I'm glad that he's God and I'm not. Our grace tends to have limitations, but aren't you thankful God's grace knows no limitations. God will save the most notorious sinner who turns to him, and that includes even self-righteous church people, if you want to go that far. Listen, we dare not forget what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in chapter 2. First, he, decide, he describes what we were before we were saved. He said in verse 12, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in this world. But then he describes our new position in verse 13. He says, but now... 
Oh, somebody ought to say, but now. In Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, there was a time when all of us, like Rahab and like the Gibeonites, were without hope and without God in this world. That's why what Paul says in verse 13 is so important. He said, here's what you were, but now here's what you are. Here's what you were, but now here's what you are. God's grace makes all the difference in the world. Oh, somebody ought to raise your hands and say, thank God for His grace. <coughs> Hallelujah. So now, I'm going to hurry. I'm going to close. I know it. I can't hardly stand listening to myself, and I know you probably can't. So I think <clears throat> this may be the most important lesson in this text. God has people in his family who come from everywhere, even the most unlikely places you wouldn't think an immoral woman in Jericho would end up over in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11 the hall of faith chapter but that's exactly where she shows up Woo, hallelujah. you wouldn't think a lying con men like the Gibeonites would end up serving at the altar of the Lord for years but that's exactly where they end up Listen, we were all born rebels. We were all born as God-haters. We were all sinners who missed the mark, Paul said. But God's grace made all the difference. I said, God's grace. Oh, somebody ought to say, God's grace made the difference. And I think the lesson for us is this. No matter where you are right now, no matter what you've been in the past and what you've done in the past, God's grace can welcome you into His family. Somebody ought to celebrate that right now. Hallelujah. If God insisted that the Jews keep their oath... This is my last observation. If God insisted that the Jews keep their oath, even though it was foolishly made, how much more will God keep the oath he has taken for you and I? What are you talking about? I'm talking about Hebrews chapter 6. The writer puts it this way, I quote, God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation or comfort who have fled to refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. Do you see what the writer of Hebrews is saying? He says God doesn't want us to have any doubts about our salvation. 
Listen to me. God doesn't want you to have any doubts about your salvation. So, so God made a promise. And then he confirmed it with an oath. And he did that so that we might be able to have great confidence in trusting him. Listen, we can trust that God will always be there when we need him. When we mess up, when we fail God, when we start to beat ourselves up in condemnation, God says, oh, wait a minute. I made a promise. I said, I made a promise. And I swore an oath. Your sin will not cancel my grace. I said, your sin, God says, will not cancel, cancel my grace. Because However much you may have sinned, God's grace is greater. Hallelujah. I said God's grace is greater. I want everybody to know tonight, uh, yes, we fall. Yes, we make mistakes. Uh, but I want to tell somebody, get back up. Uh, God has invested too much uh, in you to stay down. Uh, get back up and rejoice uh, in the grace of God. Hallelujah. You notice in that passage I read to you from Hebrews, it says those who have fled for refuge. We are people who have fled to him for refuge. That's what Rahab did. That's what the Gibeonites did. They fled to the only source of hope in their lives. There was no one else could save them. And that's what we did when we came to Christ. We fled from Satan. We fled from this world. And we grabbed hold of the only eternal hope, which is Jesus Christ, our salvation. And I believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to see a few Gibeonites there. We're going to see Rahab there. Oh, hallelujah. Why? Because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be thanking God because if He can save a prostitute like Rahab and a bunch of lying con men like the Gibeonites, He can save every one of us too. Praise God. No matter where you are right now, no matter where you've been in the past, God's grace has a welcome mat out for you if you will flee to Him for refuge. I don't know who I'm talking to. Maybe it's somebody watching online. But listen, what started as a curse, God turned it into a blessing. I said what started as a curse, He turned it into a blessing. And today the good news is that God still overrules the curse. I said God still overrules the curse and takes our mistakes and turns them into blessings. Yes, John G. God, come. Ooh, Hallelujah. I know, I'm too happy tonight. Praise God. I talked to you the other night briefly about the bracelets WWJD. Remember that? That was taken from a book written by Charles Sheldon, What Would Jesus Do? 
The name of the book was In His Steps. That book, In His Steps, earned less money for its author than any bestseller in history. And here's the reason why. Charles Sheldon wrote that book in 1896, and it was first published by a religious weekly magazine. The magazine's publisher failed to meet the copyright regulations, and so they punished Sheldon by making him lose legal ownership of that book. Scores then, any publisher could jump in and start publishing that book and make money without paying any royalties to Sheldon. And that's exactly what they did. It sold millions of copies. And Charles Sheldon couldn't claim any royalties. Forty years later, Charles Sheldon lost. Remember, he's lost his book, lost his royalties. But he said this, I am so thankful that owing to a defective copyright, that book has had a larger reading on account of a great number of publishers. Praise God. He saw that what looked like such a bad thing, the name of Jesus was being proclaimed and published so so greater, so much greater than he could ever have imagined if he would have kept the restrictive copyright. Listen, friends, if you have made a bad decision, all is not lost. Can I encourage you? Turn it over to Jesus and allow him into your situation. He can overrule the mistake and bring a blessing out of it. That's what Jesus does. Stand with me. Turn your sins, turn your failures over to him. Your failures do not have to defeat you forever. God's grace is bigger than any mistake. I said it's bigger than any mistake. What the enemy meant for evil, God turned it for good. Is that aligned to a song you sung some time ago? Can you sing it? I don't know. Do you need some help? You need me to help you, I'm sure, right? You want my lovely voice? What the enemy meant for evil. Isn't that just what happened with Joseph? Huh? When the brothers finally come to Egypt and he reveals his identity. Oh, they're shaking. They're like, oh no, we're in trouble now. He's going to make us all prisoners. But Joseph, he saw it all along. He said, what you meant for evil, God turned it for good. Oh, somebody ought to get happy about the grace of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just raise your hands and just praise him right now for the grace of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for that grace of God. These altars are open, church. God bless you as you come. Thank you for being here tonight. Come and take time. Amen. Hallelujah. Let the Lord minister in your mistake. Thank you, Jesus. Let him bring redemption. Let him bring forgiveness. You'll be glad you let him. the end.
what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good you turn it for good oh i'm gonna see a victory i'm gonna see a victory for the battle belongs to you lord i'm gonna see a victory i'm gonna see a victory 